All right, folks, welcome to episode 100 of the Biomass Podcast. Uh, as usual, we are running late and or frantically trying to fix or patch things up here uh, on, from a technical side or a show running side. So uh, the first 100 episodes are all very consistent in their Mad Max-like uh, you know, ability to get the show on the road. So uh, without further ado, we're going to kind of stick to our normal format and we're going to lead off with a little bit of intros. How about we start with Pokey? Hey, I'm Pokey Draven. I run the tech side of the show and fail at it every single week consistently. Um, I was, you know, rushing to get the show ready today. And then, of course, we started late. So uh, even though we started late, I still screwed it up. So I, I would try to promise that we'll be better next year, uh, but probably not going to fall through with that. So, uh, hi. All right. Outstanding, man. Zell? Um, I am Sarai Zell. I uh, am a co-host here and a um, uh, editor on the blog. And um, after two years of intensive and careful research, I have determined that the that the uh, least distracting and most mindless game to play while podcasting is World of Warcraft. There's there's seriously there's no there's there's nothing to to distract you from what you're doing. That is absolutely hilarious. Um, all right, bait. Hey everybody, my name is Bate, and I'm a uh, professional procrastinator. Okay, all right. Well, like I think we're I think we're winning here. Um, all right. So what I what I'll do is uh, I'll go ahead and give a quick intro, and then we've got an actual guest that's going to be coming on here in just a few seconds. I'm here. <laughs> I think. Oh yeah, he is here. Okay. So master folks- of the interface. Hey man, it's it's all good. Everybody's got to jack into the matrix somehow. Yeah. So. so um, my name is Jason, and I am your uh, one of your humble co-hosts for the last 100 episodes, a couple of years, I think. And uh, as as usual, I'm usually the guy that has to make stuff up when we have dead air, so I, I got really <laughs> used to that. Uh, but tonight, we actually have somebody here helping us out with our hundredth episode, um, and I will uh, I'll go ahead and turn this over to a a new friend of the show, Mitch. Uh, Mitch, do you mind doing me a favor and just giving us a real quick uh, introduction to kind of who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Mitch Gittleman, and I'm the studio head of a video game company game called Airbrains. Shadowrun series, Battletech, and uh, soon to be released Prop. Okay. So you were dropping in and out a little bit, but uh, he, but Mitch is uh, one of the studio heads or the studio head over at Hairbrain Schemes, uh, and I think you guys will recognize the name of that studio. We've talked quite a bit about them uh, with. Um, some of their Shadowrun series, and they've also got like an, an old school tabletop slash uh, video game offering called Battletech that a lot of you guys are familiar with. Uh, that's coming to life uh, here here pretty soon. Had a, an incredible Kickstarter program, and they've got one that we really want to talk to him about called Necropolis, which is kind of definitely a different spin on things. But we really appreciate Mitch joining us for the uh, uh, the 100th show tonight. So. Without further ado, what we'd like to do is knock out a little bit of the newsworthy stuff uh, that we had in our pocket before we jump on with uh, with Mitch and a little bit of sort of game designer, game developer 101 and sor- sort of what they're working on over at uh, Hairbrain Schemes up in Seattle. So uh, without further ado, the Rogue One trailer came out this week, and I, I think we've all seen that, right, guys? Yep. Oh, yeah. That thing looked pretty sweet. I was... Uh, it, it, in a weird way, it was very un-Star Wars-y, although there's a lot of uh, elements into it. Uh, did a little bit of reading up onto it, and they definitely went after kind of a, a an old-school war movie or sort of uh, 
dirty dozens kind of feel. I'm I'm digging it though. What do you what do you guys think about it? I thought it looked really fantastic. It, it's uh, it seemed even more involved and more epic than I was expecting. I kind of expected kind of a side, you know, just a side story. But it looks like they're they're actually really kind of throwing it all into it. So I think it's going to be great. I shed real human tears when I saw it. That's <laughs> pretty legit, man. I I actually like the thought of a Star Wars movie about somebody not named Skywalker or Solo. I mean, you know, oh, it just yeah. kind of. It just like expands the universe a little bit, but uh, it looks pretty gritty. I'm kind of digging it though. Yeah, yeah I just I, loved it. So go ahead. Yeah, I'm. I was. Uh, I I caught it uh, late. I'm trying to remember. I only watched it once. Um, but uh, yeah, it it was uh, something I'm looking forward to. I like anything off the off the main track. Yeah, no, I, I'm kind of digging it. It's a, it's apparently a heist movie where it's uh, kind of the story about how they secured the plans to the Death Star. And, and for the record, I am absolutely looking forward to seeing the death of many Bothans at some point in that movie. Yeah, I think that one's got to wait a little while. The Bothans died to get the plans for the second Death Star. Oh, uh, you keep right. killing me. No. See, no, trust me. Like Once you get to use this crowd, you're going to fit right in with that one. All right, uh, but, no, that's actually, that's actually a good catch, though. Uh, so this this should be actually pretty interesting. I did I did see that uh, one of my favorite movie bad bad guys is actually in this one. Um, gosh, he he's the guy that plays Hannibal on TV. I think he's also the, the oh. main baddie in the new Doctor Strange movie. Mads oh, Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know what he's what role he's playing though, but I. I'm not entirely sure, but I can only hope that he would be like some sort of mean inquisitor, bounty hunter kind of guy. I can't imagine they got him to be a good guy. You never know, man. But it's, uh, I think that's probably our, that's definitely our pop culture movie shot for the week. Uh, I think that covers a lot of ground because who knows, there's going to be another comic book movie coming up anytime soon. Oh, and for the record, the MTV music, music and movie awards, Deadpool cleaned house. So for all you haters out there, Again, Jason called it correctly 18 months ago. Deadpool, biggest thing ever. <laughs> I dug it. No, no, trust me. Like when they, when they announced that, because I'm a huge Deadpool fan, and when the uh, when they announced this thing, I was talking it up. Like no kidding, 18 months ago, I caught so much for that one. They were like, "Oh my god, this thing! You got to be joking me! They can't make a movie out of this." Yeah, they are, and apparently, it's the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. Just saying. Has, has it hit that bar yet? I thought there was I, still no, a year or two above I, it. I believe it's actually hit. Nope. It's actually crossed the threshold. Yeah, it's somewhere like seven hundred seventy-five million or something like that. It's it's insane. First for a movie that costs about forty-five million to make. That's like its per capita gain is off the chart. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. So we're going to transition to a couple of things that Pokey had on on the slate, and then we really want to jump into the meat of it with Mitch. So. Pokey, if you don't if you don't mind, could you tell us a little bit about Hardcore Henry? Okay, and no, so you, that is not one of those special uh, movies that Bait watches. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh, I was oh, gonna dear. go see that. Okay, oh, and VR. <laughs> uh, man. Okay, we'll so get to the VR topic. <laughs> <laughs> we we have talked about Hardcore Henry in the past, um, and for those who didn't hear about it, it's basically in an action movie that's done entirely from a first person perspective of the main character. So, uh, I, I went into this with the expectation that I'd basically get uh, an hour and a half of gratuitous and intense violence with a thin story. 
really just a stupid action movie with a, a unique you know twist on the presentation. And that's basically what I got. Um, you know, it was it was if you're going in there for a story, you're going to be disappointed. But if you just want to see shit blow up in first person for an hour and a half, it's fantastic. Uh, it, it was very cool to have kind of the immersive experience, and was you know, it's something that you I, I would suggest definitely see in theaters and not just try to pick up the the, the red box on. I think that having that widescreen format um, is is really important to kind of get the full experience. But yeah, I mean, the action is just off the chart. You know, it's all over the place. Just everything you can imagine. Uh, definitely some some nods to first person gaming out there. There's there's one scene that I, I got the giggles in because it basically felt like a tutorial for a first person shooter. Um, and it, the movie is very self aware of of what it is. It's not trying to be some deep meaningful story. It's basically in your face. Yep, this is going to be just nothing but you know crap blowing up all all week long. So you know it, it was good in that regard. Um, I will say that I've never seen such gratuitous use of Deus Ex Machina in a movie. Like it, it gets to, <laughs> again, the movie is very self-aware of how ridiculously coincidental everything is. It's actually a pretty funny scene. I won't spoil, but um, it, it made me laugh because it it was basically saying, "Yeah, it, it is this stupid," you know. Uh, but yeah, really good movie. Um, if you're looking for a good action flick, I, I would definitely check it out. Um, I, Again, see it in theaters. I probably won't buy it on Blu-ray or anything like that, but I do imagine that when it comes out for um, console, or rather when it comes out on, on you know uh, on Blu-ray, I'm willing. I'm, I really want to try it with a VR headset because you know, like I said, the, the large format is great for the experience, um, and I think a VR headset would actually make it even better. There's there's one scene in particular. Um, again, I won't spoil it, but it, it would be really trippy in VR just by the nature of the scene. And you know, uh, when you go and see it, you'll, you'll definitely understand what I'm talking about. So, uh, yeah, Hardcore Henry, really good action flick, and I, I do suggest people go see it if they want uh, want a very good guy movie. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Charlton Copley, so anything that he's in generally has a little bit of uh, added flavor to it. Uh, so something interesting about the um, the technical components of the film, they actually filmed all of it with GoPro cameras, um, and they had to do some custom made headsets basically on all the stunt actors uh, that that you know portray the you know the like the character of the movie. And uh, it, there's some really neat technical components of it uh, that I've seen. I've seen done in other places for other venues, like uh, when I would do some alpine climbing up in the Olympics and things like that, or we would uh, we did some basically skydiving, military skydiving stuff like that. We would use ve- like very similar camera headsets, uh, at least initially to what the what they first built to to film that movie with. Now they eventually got it to a much more refined piece where there's basically two GoPros strapped where their their lenses are about cheek level or so uh, under the actor so he can still see or really it's a stunt man the whole time so he can still see and then he, he can glance down and see the top of the GoPro so you can see what what the view of the cameras are and they did it you know again in, in BinoVision with two GoPros on his face it's a really interesting looking rig uh, and just watching a little bit I've seen a little bit of the behind the scenes like somebody's filming with an iPhone of watching these guys film this thing Every stunt in there is practical. There's very, very little CGI, uh, and that alone should should be kind of worth the thrill ride. I, I suspect. Um, good, good interview with the director I saw, where he was basically saying that he, he was trying to push the envelope on technology and find out how could you how could you you know bridge into things like VR or maybe give people 
coming out of a movie theater the same type of sort of visceral reaction they have to a roller coaster ride. At least by initial reports and the way Pokey's describing it, I think he's he's maybe on the right azimuth. Was, is that fair, Pokey, do you think, characterization of it? Yeah, I think so. It's got a very distinctive um, indie feel to it, but it's definitely very well polished and they did a good job at, you know, making it feel like a, a good cinema experience, but it still kind of has that charm that, that comes with more of a, you know, I don't want to say lower budget, but a more, you know, independent film kind of feel to it. So I, again, it was really solid. I, I quite enjoyed it. I, I'm a huge fan. By the way, we're going to circle back to that concept that Anything that is actually low budget, not planned, and done by the seat of its pants, and as we referred to earlier, the Mad Max style of media, uh, we refer to that as indie, <laughs> not unpolished, not not poor or bad. So uh, we'll we'll see how that works out. Um, speaking of VR, Zell, I think you had one last bit of news news before we moved on to uh, kind of our conversation with Mitch. Yes, sir. Um, so this last week uh, they released. Uh, uh, Gunjack over to um, the Steam store for the HTC Vive lo- launch. Vive? Vive? How, how is that pronounced? Vive. Okay. All I right. think. We'll, we'll go with that. Um, GIFs, GIF, GIFs, it's whatever. It's a GIF. Shut up. <laughs> so, um, for the record, Jake, aka Zell, is the most technically proficient person on this podcast, at least not counting the guest. And if anybody thinks in ones and zeros, it's probably him. So at this point, <laughs> he's trolling all of us. It's it's Jeff for the record. It's a gif. Oh, good lord! Please, Zell, tell me tell me about this thing again. <laughs> All right. So, um, the thing that I found disappointing is because I don't have a VR headset yet. I haven't bought uh, an Oculus or or a Vive because I want to see who wins the the new HD DVD Blu-ray slash VHS Betamax format war. Um, but I figured, hey, well, Steam will support it or whatever, so I'll just buy the Steam copy. You know, for now, whatever. Um, but the Steam copy is actually Vive only, um, which is kind of strange because the uh, Steam store does list games with support for either either headset or both. Um, and actually, I tweeted this at uh, Hilmar, and uh, Hilmar said that uh, Steam VR isn't isn't really you know that he's able to use Steam VR on his on his Rift with side loading. And I pointed out, well, you know, but it's a, it doesn't have Oculus support. And he's, he's like, can, you know, can you uh, give me an example? And so I sent him another game that shows both both headsets support on VR. Um, and he said uh, that, uh, well, it, at least he said thank you for the example. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that they'll, they'll kind of generalize that at some point. Um, but uh, I had some kind of direct interaction with Hilmar over that. And uh, just to survey's track and... Uh... Hilmar is the he's the head of CCP Studios over in Iceland. What is CCP? I, I don't know. It's, it's a, See, this this is what it's, it's, it's going to be. It's a company that existed. Um, it, <laughs> do they still, are, are they still there? Do they still do stuff? I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, and they haven't launched Valkyrie yet. I, I um, for the uh, Vive, I guess that's later in the year. Um, but uh, some of the reviews for the. Gunjack actually haven't been that great because they're saying that they expected to be able to use their the hand control the touch controllers with the Vive version and and that they can't because it's you know a cell phone game basically. Oh, uh, again, I, I think at this stage anybody throwing rocks at VR stuff it's it's a little premature only because I like nobody's like the mass market really hasn't got its hands on it yet and I suspect it's going to be a year or two before we really really get you know high you know 
well yeah. well built integrated synchronized type products that are coming out so and there's a lot of inconsistency in terms of you know well you've got some games you can play with the, like an xbox controller and then you have um you know hdc's little touch controller motion controllers there's like the new steam control or there's the gear vr is like the touchpad on the side of the headset and some games have you know controls separate controls some use like you know where you're looking and it's kind of hard to figure out honestly when you start looking at a vr game because they try and do the minimal ui thing intentionally you're like what do i do with this it looks pretty but but how do i use it i actually finally got to try the uh, final version of gunjack now this week my uh, my dad got a headset for it so that's pretty cool i mean i, I would offer that just having done some r&d work with uh like you know augmented reality and vr type hardware before it's um, the ability to translate what you're seeing or what you want the user to experience or what information you want them to have is can be surprisingly difficult in terms of that like that style of information flow to a person. Like we've used it, we've we've probably used more augmented reality uh, rather than v- true VR. Although we did start. Like some of our program guys actually started with uh, the Oculus dev kits for a while. And that you can do a lot with that depending on what you want it to do and what the application is. But how you get people into it in terms of literally the hardware that they're operating, it was um, that was an interesting, interesting experience that we didn't ex- that we didn't account for is how difficult that was to actually come up with something that was fairly fairly innocuous that you could use for a lot of different things because a lot of our applications are very very specific in terms of certain pieces of equipment or certain types of actions and motions so uh it was pre- pretty interesting though zella like that's again i think it's, <laughs> go ahead mitch sorry i didn't say anything oh my bad so um like that that's one of the things i think we're going to continue to see with the vr stuff is as the as the that sort of facet of hardware grows, there's going to be a lot of rapid iterations on different types of controllers, different tri- different levels of compatibility, that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think it'll all be good for the consumer in the end. Usually is, unless we all go crazy with it or something. Who knows? Um, okay. So, folks, uh, what we'd like to do is kind of bridge over and kind of hang out with our guest, uh, Mitch Gittleman, for a little bit. Uh, it's we're really, really fortunate to have him on. It was a bit short notice, uh, and he's been a, a pretty awesome sport about this. Um, so he kind of mentioned it earlier. He's uh, he's one he's the studio lead for Hairbrain Studios, or Hairbrain Scheme, excuse me. Uh, and we've talked a lot about some of the games uh, that they've put out here in the last uh, couple of years. So just a quick review. I was browsing around on my iPad one day and I saw a Shadowrun Returns video game. So being about age 41, that's an old school tabletop RPG game that I played uh, when I was much younger. Love the love the IP. Was a huge fan of a lot of the uh, a lot of the you know the novels that supported it and all that kind of stuff. And just sort of the, the, it was a blending of like uh, high fantasy and uh, kind of a cyberpunk science fiction world. In, in a way I'd never seen done before, uh, and and frankly to this point haven't really ever seen replicated nearly in that style or fashion. Uh, so I was like a little bit nostalgic. Downloaded the game was absolutely awesome. Was very reminiscent of a lot of the kind of the Baldur's Gate style, uh, you know, games I experienced when I was in college. On you know when I was experiencing my first like PC games and stuff like that. So. 
kind of the Dark Suns, Baldur's Gate style feel of, uh, of PC RPG games. Uh, so I started looking into, into who made this thing and where did it come from? And you find out that lo and behold, there's uh, some additional Shadowrun properties that were coming out. Uh, recently, Shadowrun Hong Kong, which we, we talked a lot about here and we had, had the uh, deep dive episode on. Really, well, that, really was, uh, that was Dragonfall. Oh, Dra- Dragonfall. Sorry. And then we got into the, into the Hong Kong one. Jay uh, sold everyone a couple. Had to have gotten a couple of Dragonfall sales credited to him somewhere. I, 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 prob- I, bought, I, bought. I probably did. <laughs> but uh, at that point, we st- I, I kind of really started taking some interest into him. And I found out that a lot of the uh, – some of the guys from the old Fossa crew, which I believe Mitch is one of them, and uh, Jordan Wiseman, uh, kind of the two of the sort of the old old graybeards of the clan of the – of the kind of the gaming world were involved in this and started start taking a look and it looks like they've uh, re they're taking a really healthy stab at reintroducing a a very vibrant BattleTech game. Uh, we'll love to talk to you about that in a second. And they've also kind of broken out with uh, some other things. One of which is a game called Necropolis, which I'm not sure how to describe it from what I've seen, other than it's a a, a, it looks like a very fun pair of Rogue, of the old Rogue series, and maybe some Dark Souls, depending on uh, how much pain you like to inflict on yourself. Uh, so without further ado, what I'd like to do, Mitch, if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about uh, kind of the your history and kind of the tabletop in the video game world and some of the, the products that we might have seen you or you know, quote unquote seen you working on here in your past? Uh, yeah, well, my past goes back a ways into the early 90s. I, I, I got into paper and pencil role-playing games uh, in the late 70s, and I met Jordan in the 80s at Gen Con, the gaming convention at the time, which was in uh, Wisconsin, and, uh, you know, started writing those. Uh, I wrote, um, I ghost-wrote some Dungeons & Dragons stuff, and I uh, wrote a game called Underground by Mayfair Games and did a lot of the world background development for that game. Um, and then from there, I uh, moved on and moved into uh, video games, and I started working for Sony Interactive Europe, uh, doing a PlayStation uh, first wave title called Sentient, which was a very well-received title in Europe. It never came out in America. And then, uh, and then I started doing you know children's games. I became the creative director of a small indie company in Chicago called Imagination Pilots. We did uh, some children's games. I worked on some Where's Waldo educational games that were really cool. And uh, I did a game for Amway, but let's move on. And I did some of those <laughs> Sillywood games. Um, you remember those live-action uh, video games when CD-ROMs were first invented? Yeah, oh, yes. I do. Yeah, oh, yes. yeah I, I, that's, now you understand how old I am. So, yeah, I, I did some of those. Uh, those were absolute crap. Then, uh, you know, I was talking to Jordan. We had been flirting back and forth about me uh, running the Battletech uh, centers. Have you heard of those? The pods in them? Yeah, now you, I think you had one up in Chicago, right? Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, there was, that was the first Battletech center in a place called North Pier in Chicago. And those were 16 networked uh, pods that you could get into that were networked together and played Battletech. And uh, there were two screens on there, you know, dozens of buttons, two joysticks, floor pedals. Everything worked. It was really cool. And so we were flirting around with me uh, uh, coming into that company and sort of taking the lead on that. And then ultimately, it's like, you know what? Let's just play video games. And so um, I got hired originally to be the lead designer and producer of Crimson Skies, 
Uh, and Jordan and I did the early concept work on that. But we shelved it for a while. Didn't feel like making that at that particular time. He, uh, Mech Commander 1 had been in development for a while, and it needed some serious help. And so I got put on that to sort of wrangle that game, and uh, I started uh, uh, leading development of that game, and I took over as lead designer after a while and uh, got that one out the door. That was my first uh, experience with serious crunch time. And uh, never looked back. I've been, it feels like I've been crunching ever since, since the mid-'90s. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, after making uh, Mech Commander 1, I made uh, Mech Commander Gold, which was, uh, you know, an expansion. Uh, with where we released an editor for that game. That, then the company got bought by Microsoft, and all of us moved out to Seattle, Washington. And uh, Jordan went on to become the creative director for what would be uh, the first Xbox uh, launch. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And he became creative director there. This was before Microsoft Game Studios was actually invented. We were sort of the core of Microsoft Game Studios. And, uh, you know, I shipped that. I shipped uh, the first title on Xbox Live uh, called uh, Mech Assault. And that was the very first uh, networked console game. And uh, then after that, I worked on Crimson Skies, which was our next big Xbox game. And uh, I did uh, what they call group program manager. I was kind of an ex executive producer on that one. And, and more stuff and more stuff. Uh, first person shooter based on the Shadowrun. Incredibly I, loose. I actually remember that. <laughs> yeah, which uh, you know, people come up to me all the time telling me how wonderful that was and forward thinking. But at the time, they trashed it something fierce. Uh, was, was, that, so it was, yeah. was that the first one of the? Was that if I remember one of the few games you could cross play between console and PC or something? Yeah, that was the first game. Okay, you could do that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I thought because that's where I, I remembered it from, and uh, you know, that was that was actually one of the only reasons I could play. A, just 514 is because I can hook my keyboard up to my PS3. Um, right. And, and that whole debate came back again about, the, about you know, different control methods for the same game. Yep. We, we felt like we made it fair. Your mileage may vary, but we, uh, we had a whole bunch of Halo League players and a whole bunch of Counter-Strike League, League players on our test team that would constantly fight each other, and they, they thought it was fair, so... So that was that one. Uh, I did a lot of other stuff. Uh, I took over Xbox Live Arcade uh, after that and ran that during sort of its golden years, you know, with the whole summer of arcade thing. And so did that for a while, uh, worked on One Versus 100 and some other titles, and then uh, left Microsoft and Jordan and I decided to form our own company. I was consulting with Bungie at the time uh, on Destiny, and they said, hey, you know what, Jordan wants to make a game. We want to make um, mobile games. We want to publish some mobile games so we can learn how that, that works. He's got an idea for a game, and so why don't you be the producer on that? And so I met with Jordan, and you know the idea. He had uh, three slides, a PowerPoint explaining the basic concept of the game, and uh, I'm like, oh, this is cool. let's start Monday. They gave us ten weeks to make the game, and uh, we made it in uh, twelve weeks, and that became uh, uh, something called Crimson Steam Pirates. Oh, Which, okay. Yeah, and that one, uh, Apple's one of Apple's mark games of the year. So that was a good start <laughs> to the new company. And we we finished the game. We were like, you know what, this is fun. Let's just stay together. And so uh, we formed Hairbrain Schemes. 
Um, and after that, we did a game called Strike Fleet Omega, which became that year. That was uh, that was Google Play's one of their games of the year. So that was two for two. Felt good about that. And around that time, uh, got the idea of doing a Kickstarter for Shadowrun Returns. And uh, very few people had ever heard of Kickstarter and had ever done games on there. And we were one of the very first games to break a million dollars. I think we were the third to break a million dollars on Kickstarter. We were the first game uh, to ever ship uh, that was over a million dollars. <laughs> I was I was actually going to mention that. Like it, it's the money, the amount of money you guys accrued was was one thing. The fact that you delivered on what you said you were going to, and I think is actually what shocked uh, a lot of the folks. Uh, is, yeah. is, is literally, it's that component of like, yeah, I, like I got the you hold take my money thing, but you actually gave me something in return that you, and generally, I, and, and I think you, you guys are really good at sort of the under promise over deliver, uh, by the way. Uh, so I, I think that alone uh, gives you some serious kudos here in the, in the, the you know, recent news history. Yeah, I don't think anybody expected us to actually ship the game, but uh, but we did. Almost exactly a year later, we shipped Shadowrun Returns, and then we did uh, Shag- Shadowrun Dragonfall about mm, maybe nine months later, I think. And then we yeah. did the Shadowrun Dragonfall Director's Cut. Uh, we also did called um, uh, Golem Arcana, another kickstarted game. That was this hybrid board game and uh, and mobile game. You know, so you had these figures, kind of like um, in Hero Clips, uh, beautiful figures, nice and big, and using this YouTube, uh, sorry, Bluetooth stylus, uh, transmitted information from the game board and the figures to the app. They had to play the game and took care of the rules for you. It was really cool. So we kickstarted that successfully, shipped that exactly when we said we were going to. Then we did another one, uh, another Kickstarter, this time for uh, Shadowrun Hong Kong. And uh, I shipped that almost, I th- exactly on the day we said we were going to. So, And each time, our review scores went up and up and up. So, you know, feels pretty good. Yeah, there, there's something odd about like when a company tells its customers that we're going to do something, then you follow through with it. It's it's yeah, almost that's a new thing we're trying. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, almost, it's almost a thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, and then I, uh, and yeah, then in October, what is September, October, we uh, we tipped Hong Kong. We said, hey, guess what? We got the rights to do BattleTech, and man, that was uh, three and a quarter million from that one. Yeah, you, you, and somewhere in there, you found time to, you guys found time to put Necropolis together, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> around, yeah, around the time where we were deep uh, in Golem Arcana, uh, two of the leads of the studio said, we have an idea for a game, can we pitch it to you? And so they pitched it, and they said, well, what if Dark Souls and Spelunky had a baby? <laughs> Third-person action game with Hermadeath and uh, procedurally generated environments and loot and monsters. And it's like, okay, that I've never, why isn't there a game like that now? And they said, we don't know. Like, uh, you know, rogues are usually 2D and blah, blah, blah. And we think we're the first with this. I'm like, well, uh, let's go, you know. So we funded them to type, and they showed us prototypes. Like, oh, my gosh, it's cool. And as they're prototyping it, uh, Mike McCain and Chris Rogers, uh, our two art directors, together and just created this gorgeous look and feel that really got us noticed. And we took it to Beast last year, and Destructoid gave us Game of the Show and Fan Choice of the Show. And 
so we got really excited about the game and you know we staffed it up really heavily and for us anyway and went to town and it's coming out this summer pc oh and then when we were at pax was it pax no it was pax east no it's still at pax east uh bandai namco came up to us we're like my god this is really cool talking it to us and talking to us until eventually we decided to uh to with them have them publish it on console so we're publishing it on pc and bandai namco the makers are the publishers of dark souls are publishing it on uh one and playstation 4 and i think we're up to the present tense yep i think so and we are uh that's something we were chatting about earlier uh before you ever hop on the show we were pretty pretty keen to to see uh necropolis hit the console because a lot of us like you know like in this day and age you do a lot of mixed game and nobody's really a console or pc pure player or very few people are uh you know, zell's probably the closest to a pc purist that we have and i also I'm like have the, nintendos uh, he does i'm the dirty mac user so i you know i have my own <laughs> i have my own private hell that i have to work through you're uh, not a filthy linux user <laughs> no, I, I, I need I need something that operates very much like my iPad, which is very clean and simple. So that's about it. Are you driving automatic? Uh, no, well, only because I couldn't find a a standard in the in the vehicle that I was driving when I was looking to buy. But the uh, it, it's it's just one of those things. But you, one of the reasons that we were really excited to to have you on is you you probably have one of the most eclectic backgrounds in gaming. Um, now just a, a quick question. Are, uh, you are, you I'm kind of, I'm trying to parse, parse my question here. Are you usually more on the sort of high end game concept side or the actual sort of how do I, make, yeah. How do you make, you know, are you into the kind of the ones and zeros of translating ideas into, into games? I assume you've probably touched a little bit, but you sound more of a, here's an idea for a game. How do we build like the world around this and, and what do the mechanics need to be to support that kind of game? Is that about right? It's an interesting, uh, you're right. It's a, it's a goofy ass history. I've got, um, paper and pencil games, you know, I got into it for world building kind of thing. I thought that's talent lay. Um, what I found out coming into the game industry as a designer was that especially in the nineties, nobody, uh, knew how to manage people or manage teams. They just promoted somebody <laughs> the leadership position, and these people didn't know how to manage, didn't know how to lead, uh, didn't know how to organize or communicate. So I immediately became a sir. I got let's put this guy in charge. So for most of my game career, I've been quote unquote in charge. Um, sometimes that's with the big picture, but a lot of times it was just sort of holding the vision and, and making the game happen. So for example. Commander, Commander series, is Jordan's original idea, partner Jordan. And the vision holder of that, that first title for the longest time was uh, his partner and the, the president of the company, Denny Thorley. And then when I got on, you know, Denny was running the company. So somebody had to run the project day to day. And I started doing that. And then it just became, oh, you know what? You understand the vision for this game. I was basically lead designing every single mission in the game and uh, cutting. I, most of my job on that game was actually cutting features and cutting designs and focusing designs. And it turns out that's one of the places where I have some talent is in editing and in focusing and going, you know, the finding out. Uh, helping other people to find the core of their experience of the game experience and you know and really focusing it for the audience 
Um, and so, you know, I started producing a lot and, you know, running projects and working with creative people and making sure that they could get their visions on screen and helping them with that and adding my, um, you know, two cents, my special sauce or whatever. And that works really well. I love collaboration. We get to the Shadowrun series where I was uh, producing that uh, with Jordan. And then as time went on, we realized, hey, somebody has to write this game. <laughs> and so <laughs> I wrote the spec on how to write the game. You know, I said, here's the tone of the game. Here's the whole Game Master voice stuff in brackets. Here, You know, here's how we do that. And uh, here's how our dialogue system works. And then it turns out I just actually did the writing, too. So for Shadowrun Returns, I did the lion's share of the writing in that game and setting the tone of the Shadowrun universe on screen. So I was really excited about that. And then Mike McCain took over uh, uh, Shadowrun. Uh, he was the director on... Uh, on uh, Dragonfall, and, and, you know, the director's cut was really his baby. And we brought on a new lead writer for that, a guy named uh, Andrew McIntosh, who just took my writing from Shadowrun Returns really to the next level and really honed it and made it more sort of hard sci-fi and stuff like that. And I uh, stayed on, and I did, oh, I don't know, maybe a quarter, a third of the writing in that game. It was really Andrew's baby. I was just... Uh, you know, I had uh, some thing. Yeah, I rewrote Act One. I wrote Act Three, but you know, really, it was his baby, and uh, I was just adding sort of the uh, the pathos to the game and all the emotion to the game. He's a very intellectual writer. I'm a very emotional writer, and so we team up really well together. And then for Shadowrun Hong Kong, I was the game director, and so I led the whole thing there through pre-production. Then McCain came back on that. And I wrote the spine of the game. I wrote the, the main plot of that, you know, a lot of the major beats of that one. So I, I find that, you know, I like the real high level of just sort of running a project and the really low level of saying this is what this character says next. That's pretty. That's a pretty fascinating way to, way to approach it. And um, what, no, just a, a quick note here. One of the things I saw, I think, very early in your in your BattleTech Kickstarter, you guys did a series of of pretty cool interviews uh, that were up on YouTube, and I saw you and Jordan kind of talking. It was a pretty extensive YouTube, maybe it was like forty five minutes or fifty minutes or something, but somewhere right right around the middle of it, uh, you and Jordan had a quick, you know, probably about a three minute riff on, like. Um, in my day job, I'm actually a, a United States Army officer, and I what what you guys talked about are literally things that I've taught people, like literally in class, like as as an instructor on basic principles of leadership and management. And, and I was ah. very impressed by some of the things that you guys laid out, uh, and I even earmarked it, and I used one of your clips in my class. It was it was pretty impressive the way you described. You know, you actually need a vision, and you need to understand who you're who you're delivering it to, and and what do they need. I, I was very impressed by that. So that's one of the reasons I was kind of curious about, um, you know, where you where you normally fit in, fitted into a project. Now that's horrendous English, by the way, but uh, it was no, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it depends on the project. You know, like Shadowrun Hong Kong, I was in from the very, very beginning, you know, whereas La Marcana, I ran the Kickstarter, but didn't come in until the end. And I was what you might call the closer, you know, about two weeks, two months, I'm sorry, before the game came out. Somebody has to sort of say, okay, everything stops. We're only fixing these bugs, you know, 
these this is how the tutorial is going to work you know and i i just sort of focused it and closed it up and took a hatchet frankly to a bunch of features that we wanted that we couldn't get and somebody has to do that somebody has to sort of play the heavy at the end of a game and who better than the president of the company so <laughs> made it really easy um you know and that's just the way it goes and as far as you know leadership and stuff like that that's perhaps the coolest part of this whole thing is you know using what i've learned over so long and jordan too he's you know he's great as uh this sort of uh, creative lightning rod he's very exciting to work with and uh you know i really like the the momentum and the excitement of making games and so i try and keep it you know, uplifted, uplifting and stuff and positive. It's really hard to make games. It gets, it gets nuts, you know, so I, I appreciate everything you said. Yeah. And I think that, you know, your, the versatility you speak of is, is obviously indicative of your experience and your, your history in the, in the industry. And I think that that's actually kind of what brings, you know, a lot of your guys' success to the forefront is that, you know, you're, you're very adaptable. You're, you're getting out there, you're delivering because you haven't boxed yourself into this, you know, overly tight, you know, core structure you see in a lot of other companies. And I think that, you know, because of that, you, you guys produce very streamlined, very, you know, human games in, in a broad sense. No, I appreciate that. You know, somebody's still got to run the business and stuff like that. So you just, it's, it's sort of like hour by hour, what hat am I wearing today? Yeah, and I think that you see that as a failure in a lot of companies that, you know, in the day-to-day, -day, usually the, the actual developers, the people on the ground are, for the most part, you know, gamers. But they also, at the higher level, they kind of lose that, you know, that, that sort of, you know, original core gamer values. And I think that you guys have really maintained and kept that on all levels of your company, that you're, you're really just a bunch of guys who love games and happen to be very talented at making them. And I think that that's, you know, it, it really shows. Like you, like you were saying, you did a lot of the writing for um, the Shadowrun, and I was playing, and it's it, it shows. You know, you, you're playing this, you go, wow. You know, this this was written by somebody who, who really, you know, cares about the game. They they have a vision, and that vision is, is through, you can see it pulled through every single level of the game. And I think that, you know, that's that's really what makes a lot of your products absolutely fantastic. Oh, wow, that's really nice to hear. Thanks. So, I mean, what kind of challenges, do you mean, you, you obviously spoke about your success a lot, but what kind of challenges have you, you found, you know, particularly with, like, the, the Shadowrun and the recent Kickstarters and whatnot? I know that you've been very successful. What, what's been the hardest part of the Kickstarter projects? Uh, well, you know, running a Kickstarter in and of itself is a, is a project, and it's extremely challenging. You know, uh, rule number one is 6P principle. You know, proper planning prevents piss poor performance. So you really have to plan a Kickstarter. Well, our first Kickstarter for Shadowrun Returns wasn't planned at all because nobody knew how to do a Kickstarter. So we were just making it up as we go, as we went. And, of course, that, you know, <laughs> that was stupid. You know, we committed to a whole bunch of crap that we didn't know how to do or anything. But we just, you know, stuck our noses to the grindstone, you know. If you're not afraid, you're not doing it right. So we ran at that one. But the, the hardest thing about running a Kickstarter, really, or a Kickstarter project, is that it's really ass backwards because you're committing to all features up front before you've actually made them to find out if they work. Normally what you do is you make a game and you keep it secret and you prototype things and you try stuff until finally you have something to show the world 
And well, there it is. There are the features that we're committing to because we've made them here. It's the other way. And so people are commenting on features we, you know, we're going to put in the game and they're backing us because of features we're going to put in the game. And now if we find out, wow, actually that feature is kind of messed up and we really shouldn't make it. Well, we committed to it and we don't like to break our commitments. So we just have to find a way of making it work. And that's the hardest part. Yeah, I think, again, I think that goes back to that sort of novel approach of um, sort of upfront condition setting that you guys have with your your customer base. Uh, and it's it's kind of interesting how you guys approach it, because I, I have seen in the dialogue that you have, like I'm, I'm a contributor to your, your uh, battles. Battletech Kickstarter. Oh, thanks. You, you guys have a hundred, like what, twenty six updates that have come out fairly regularly, and they're they're pretty up to date. You set up a a pretty good communication system on your on your forums, uh, which are you're really well run. Very you're generally not not toxic, unlike many game oh, no. forums. No, we work uh, our asses off to keep it an oasis of peace. <laughs> but believe it or not, that's it's it's something we've commented on here many times. Is um, you know. Coming, coming from a, a lot of us played CCP games, and it's actually how we all met through like EVE Online and things like uh, that, where they have, they originally had, uh, or they still have a, a, a player elected council that meets with the, the developers. There's always drama associated with it, but it was always interesting because the players actually you know, felt that they had a voice with the development team, you know, that they were investing a lot of their time into. And I think you guys achieve that in a very organic way uh, without setting up a, almost a pseudo political system. It's literally you know, like people talk in the forums, you listen and you respond. It's, it's a shocking sort of communication link, but <laughs> it seems to work for you. <laughs> when you say it out loud, it's it, like, it, yes, you actually listen to your audience. Wow. Like that's rocket science. You know what I mean? It's amazing. You know, telling people what you're going to do and then actually delivering it, listening to your audience and actually taking their feedback. You know, this is like customer service 101 shit. Well, you know, I'll tell you what you, this is actually, we had a, a really cool um, kind of discussion a, a week or two ago on this where we were kind of talking about sort of the differences between like tabletop gaming, video gaming, just sort of like general, like, hey, how do how do different types of games feel? And as part of the discussion, uh, one of the things that we, we sort of kicked around was the idea that people who run who run games actually like running the development of games when they started out making the games or when they were closer to the pro you know closer to the product and as maybe even a member of an audience or a customer for a game themselves at some point they you know our general feel is that they would be better at at making a game like actually running a game and interfacing with people uh but what we found and this is you know, I, I refer to us as media in a very loose sense, only yeah. that we publish a podcast. But what we found is the majority of folks, uh, development studios that we talk to, the odds of us actually reaching a guy like Mitch Gittleman you know, or one of your opposite numbers in a different studio, very unlikely because you generally have to, you know, weed through six layers of marketing and, you know, a couple suits and, you know, some guys named Bob. And then you got some guy that looks like agent Smith that wants to know all your questions yeah. in advance. So it's actually kind of interesting. You guys take a very, uh, a very practical and clean approach to how you engage folks. And I think that, I think a lot of that shows through the success of your Kickstarter. You know, that's my opinion. No, I appreciate it. You know, it's pretty simple really. And I, I you know, 
really, I really, really do appreciate what you're saying very much. I'm glad it's coming, you know, through to you because we think of ourselves not not literally. Certainly, Jordan and I, you know, not everybody on the uh, in the company, but we think of ourselves as kind of like circus folk, right? You know, we're these performers who travel around, you know, we're like the bloody mummers or something from Game of Thrones. <laughs> and, you know, we, tra- well, maybe not. You know, we travel around putting on these shows and people applaud and they toss us money. And if they toss us enough money, we get to go to the next town and put on another show, right? And that's, that's it. That's all it is. And so uh, we do it for the applause. We do it for the audience. And we hope like hell that they toss enough money for us, you know, to keep the serenity flying. And that's it. Yeah, I guess I mixed metaphors there. No, but, it, was, it was very smooth. It was, uh, yeah, I, I can well, support I that. <laughs> right? So, you know, when you realize that we're out there for the applause and to entertain people for really, for really reals, you know, why wouldn't you keep in touch with the audience? You know, you're there by their good graces. You know, why wouldn't you treat them right? You know, game developers that are aloof to their audience. What the, what is that? I don't. I don't even understand that. That's why I could never work at a Zynga. Or I had a. Like I had a buddy of mine. When, uh I was. We were. God, I can't remember what we we're talking about. I think it was like you know, random AAA AAA title that you know that releases every year without naming any, any names. It sounds like Call yeah. of Heroes, Heroes Duty, or something. Um, <laughs> he he basically he basically equated it to like, Hey, you remember that? You remember that band that you used to think was really cool in college and they always had these really bitching album covers. Yeah. But when you go back and listen to the music, it sucks. And every song sounds, sounds the same number. But how many albums they release. He was like, that's pretty much what they are now. And I, was, yeah. I hadn't thought through that, but it's, uh, I think it kind of lends itself into the, the, you know, the discussion of is, you know, games as a service kind of thing. And it, I, I like your take on it. You, you guys are a bit of the traveling road show and the, uh, uh but I think that one of the one of the differences is um, the games that you and Jordan specifically. If you go back and all of those things you rattled off in in your history of you know touching games in some way, form or fashion, yeah. a lot of those you have like a, you know guys will have a connection to or gals will have a connection to uh, at a time in their life. It's you know they actually got value from the game, you know some kind of enjoyment value from the game, and I think today's in today's games, it's not just the enjoyment. And this is something we, we talk a lot about on the show is there's a social aspect to many of the games now. And you tend to to create social connectivity through a lot of these games. Uh, and, and that's a, it's kind of a neat thing because back in the day when you're playing like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons as a kid in high school or, or Shadowrun or whatever on a Saturday afternoon, like you were having a social action you know, and that was a large part of the enjoyment of the game. And now you can deliver that in a lot of ways through like video games, believe it, you know, I mean, heck you have a thing called a podcast that wasn't even a thing, you know, f- you know, six or five or six years ago, yeah, where people totally. are, are talking about these things and we're all connected through PlayStation live or place, you know, PlayStation communities, like Xbox live and all this kind of stuff. And it's, uh, it's pretty powerful. And, and I think, and my opinion is, uh, a lot of guys may not have known what Hairbrained Studios was when we first kind of started talking about this like a few months ago, but but guys actually recognized Jordan's name from other games, and that brought him into the discussion. 
Yeah, yeah. No, Jordan's a brilliant marketing tool. <laughs> you know, to to get information and get the word out there. You know, and he's just a brilliant game designer, a brilliant creative. It's it really is a joy to work with him, and it's really cool for the people in the studio to get to interact with somebody who's been doing this for so damn long and worked in so many different genres. You wouldn't believe it. My resume is cool. His resume is amazing. So it's always a pleasure. You know, one of the things that struck me is I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say uh, you guys are one of the things that you probably – the Hairbrain Studios team does really well. I'm going to bet you you would say that you hire the right people, not maybe the, the most technically adroit, although I, I suspect you have a lot of those, but you hire the right people for your organization. Well spoken. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a huge part of how to do this. We started with eight eight people uh, huddled together in a storage closet that we rented from Gas Powered Games a few years ago. And now we're up to I don't know, maybe fifty five people, and we handpicked every single one of them. Uh, uh, either Jordan or I or both of us interviewed every single person in the studio, and uh, we have low turnover because we choose well, but we also are not afraid to uh, remove people that aren't uh, the right fit for the type of place that we want to make. If, you're, if you want to make the type of games that we want to make and treat our audience the way that we demand they be treated, you need people who believe in that, and you have to work with them. And we hire not so much for experience. We hire for really three things, character, talent, and what we would call trajectory. You know, where are they you know, on their path, their creative path? How far can they go with us? And so we treat that, you know, the hiring very, very, very seriously because if you hire the right people, well, it turns out you don't have to spend that much uh, bandwidth managing them, you know. So it's it's self-preservation too. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's actually kind of it's that's that's a pretty cool thing. Like you just you know the way you kind of describe that that's uh, actually works with a lot of a lot of things I I do in my day job in terms of yeah, how we evaluate. Like it, yeah. It's well, it's kind of cool because what you want to do is that ultimately you want to spend time developing your talent as opposed to continually replenishing it because you you recycle oh, that's just a waste of time yeah no that's a waste of time no, no we 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 were very much into that nurturing people now that doesn't you know we don't have a, we don't have a lot of time for hand holding we're too busy making the games but people know they're cared for in our company you know and they know that our hearts are absolutely in the right place and i appreciate that a lot Oh, that's pretty legit, man. So I, I, we had a couple of quick questions that uh, some folks floated us once they heard you were coming on. Oh, um, and this is—I thought I thought this would be kind of cool to get into. So, what are is what are the most accurate uh, game developer stereotypes that you've run across, and what are the most inaccurate game developer stereotypes you've run across? Uh, you know, a lot of stereotypes have their basis in reality. Um, what are the basic stereotypes? Um, there, uh, you know, there are those people, especially in publishers, that are kind of heartless, just in it for the money, and uh, you sign a contract and you're screwed, and they'll hold you to the letter of it. But just the same, there are quite a few people, like our current publisher, Bandai Namco, who actually just give us the reins of the game. They never, they never give us crap. They never give us quote unquote creative feedback or try and take control of the game. They just support us and. You find somebody like that, you really want to do business with us with them. That's what attracted us to them. Uh, other stereotypes. 
oh my gosh i mean they're all sort of true in some ways <laughs> you know uh the uh, the type of person who you know doesn't like human interaction and prefers to sit on their own with their headphones on, uh, you know, and just do the work. <laughs> the gregarious one that you can't stop talking and it's like you got to actually make the game now. So, uh, you know, just nerds galore. You know, we we have uh, we try and get a a nice rainbow of geek and nerddom in our studio. Yep. No, I'm I'm a. I'm a huge fan of that. You'll notice on the, uh, the the banner of our website, it refers to nerdisms. So nice. uh, I'm I'm all about it. So yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so and I've I think I've I think I floated you this question on Twitter a couple weeks ago. You helped me out with it. So if oh, yeah? if you had to, what is your what is what do you enjoy most developing tabletop games or video games? Oh, uh, enjoy most has oh god. Um, well. For me, well, what, are, about, what are the differences that, that you like about both? Let's try that. <laughs> all right. Well, the interesting thing is it, it's all social for me. That's the first thing. It's all about social. So, you know, coming up with a, a vision that everybody could share and everybody gets to collaborate and add to that vision, that's the single most important thing to this whole thing for me um, is collaboration and deep, deep collaboration with people, regardless of their status, regardless of their job description, regardless of how long they've been with a company or any of that crap. Best idea wins. The best thing for the audience member wins. So I like that. And you find that in video ga games and tabletop games. The interesting thing about tabletop games is, you know, you have an art budget, you may have an art director, whatever, you may have to play test, but really, it's about typing. And uh, <laughs> typing and some math and good game mechanics. So it, it's so ridiculously easy to make a tabletop game compared to a video game that there's really there's just no comparison you know in my experience that's not to say one is better than the other or more valuable it's just video games are stupidly hard to make well, well let me let me throw you let me throw you a question here it, yeah i i think you're right how, with the caveat that in tabletop games yeah. i think the material of the game has to be like the actual, not the mechanics of the game, but what what you're setting up inside the game, like the you know the lore, the universe, the story of the game that you're delivering to players who are ultimately going to have to take it. Like that start point, I think, is much harder to come up with in a tabletop game because you have to communicate it in a way that I think is uh, not as visceral as a as a video game does. Yeah, I think there's something to that. I mean, you have to describe it and stuff like that, and you have only a few maybe color plates in your book, you know. So, yeah, there's that. It, it, you know, creating a game world and creating a video game are different things. Uh, it's funny, Jordan and I were just having that talk last week, you know, as we were talking about, hey, should we make a new game world? Wouldn't that be cool? Just, you know, a completely new thing. And so we thought about, you know, how did we used to make them in the old days? And knowing what we know now as graybeards, what would we do, you know, that we, that how do we add to that process from what we've learned about making video games and so many of them? So that was a, that was a fun conversation. I think we'll, we'll have more of those because I think that's how we're going to entertain ourselves in our, in our gray years. Uh, hey man, gray's the yeah. new black. I keep telling dudes that. <laughs> uh, it's fine, it, you know, and I am black on the inside. No question about it. So, <laughs> okay. 
All right, I'm I'm pretty good with that one. So, um, what what I was kind of wondering if you could kind of give us a a quick heads up on uh, sort of the specific properties you guys have at, at Hairbrain, sort of where you stand with uh, the BattleTech Kickstarter and some, and a little bit about what folks might uh, uh, might expect from Necropolis when they fire it up on their PS4 and uh, and their Xbox One, like kind of the the 90 second, like, Hey, if this is the, this is the kind of game you're looking for, we've got it for you. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's hit Necropolis hard. Cause it's coming out this summer. No, we're, we're actually pretty excited. By the way, Pokey, uh, who's the kind of the lurky quiet guy over there. Yeah, yeah. He, oh, yeah. he yeah, is yeah. all about the dark souls style game. So we, he awesome. was very keen to hear this. Oh, that's cool. I mean, well, first of all, if you like dark souls combat, <laughs> we took, we, we remodeled exactly the same, uh, control scheme. But if you know how to play dark souls, you know how to play, uh, uh, Necropolis, and we did that absolutely on purpose because we we love that gameplay. So it's timing, it's third person action, timing based, you know, animation gameplay. You got to watch the enemy and look for your opening and that kind of thing. But it's also mixed with, you know, a roguelike, which means it's it's hard freaking core. Let's start out this way: you're going to die, and you're going to die a lot. Just get used to it and relax. <laughs> you know, sort of let it happen. <laughs> you spawn and do it again, you know? And your goal is just to get as far as you can to try and escape Necropolis. Um, and, you know, it's completely uh, uh, procedurally generated. So every time you die and restart, you get a new Necropolis with new enemies, new locations, uh, different weapon drops, you know, all sorts of stuff as you make your way through. Uh, and you also, you know, there's this character called the Brazen Head, who's sort of like the uh, caretaker of the Necropolis. The Archmage has been, who created is has been missing for thousands of years. And uh, he's just trying to keep it running. And I, he'll give so, you these quests. I, I gotta ask, like, I read, I read yeah. a little bit about the Brazen Head, and yeah. two things came to mind. One, this is, it has a very Portal-like feel to it in terms of the... Uh, some of the engagements that it may have with the players. And two, yeah. please tell me you got Bruce Campbell to be the voice of the brazen head. <laughs> no, actually we just have uh, sort of a mock-up voice for the brazen head. The brazen head doesn't speak in English. The brazen ah. head, you remember the old Charlie Brown cartoons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. About the teacher, we go, wah, 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 wah. Yeah, calling like speak. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. The brazen head, and so that's all you hear because uh, it's easier to translate into a diff bunch of different languages. And he says so much stuff that we really wanted to uh, just you know keep it light and keep you. It's really a gameplay focused game. So all the world building and all the background you could discover as you walk through or run through, run screaming through the necropolis. You'll find uh, uh, graffiti on the walls. And the brazen head will occasionally talk to you, and you can start putting two and two together of like, what the hell is this place, and why does it exist? And that's fun if you're the type of player that likes that. But really, it's about you know 3D action gameplay and permadeath and trying to uh, to live to the next level. <laughs> that sounds pretty awesome. The uh, the video, like the videos I've seen of it, it's you, you guys take a really uh, you know a fun take on it in terms of the the visuals of it it's uh cell shaded is not the word it's it's a really neat style it almost like it, it's like dark souls and, it's like dark souls and journey had a very twisted baby oh. together and i love yeah, it uh, uh we were inspired by windwalker you know yeah that too yeah 
how you do your proportions yeah. and stuff. It, it's it's fantastic. It looks absolutely gorgeous. I'm I'm very excited Thank for this. You so much. You know, for so long, people are like, you know, the, the your main character has no feet, and you know, there was a lot of talk in the studio. Like, there's no feet. Like, yeah, it's cool, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's well, cool. And, and that's the thing is that you know, games can get you know to you know lifelike realism, but you know, once you reach it, you're you're kind of done. It's when you have cool stylized stuff like this that you actually get you know more diversity. So I'm I'm always it's refreshing to see you know people willing to to step away from the path towards realism and just kind of go crazy with it. And it, it's it's awesome. Well, realism. First of all, realism is really freaking expensive. Let's start out that way. It takes a lot of effort to do that. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I've never been into realism because it didn't seem all that creative to me. You know, I like we, I, I have to talk with my wife on occasion about realism. Like, I basically can't watch any kind of police movie or police right, TV right. show. I can't watch any kind of army or military show because I pick it apart. Like I'm yeah, right. like horrendously. So it, it becomes not fun for me. So I get driven to things like what we're talking about right now, because it's utterly fantastic. It's in the truest sense of the word. It is a fantastic event that I can totally suspend all belief and just enjoy. <laughs> yeah. And the thing, you know, I play, I play a metric F ton of Necropolis, you know, I play it every day. I play it for hours a day. I still haven't beaten the game which is one of the big jokes in the studio people, you know, appreciate cuz I don't cheat, right? You know, a lot of times when you're making a game, you got to put on yeah. right? <laughs> you know, you got to you got to put them on and put on god mode or something so that you can get down to the level that you need to to test the thing you need to test or whatever. But for me, I'm just playing it like an audience member from the beginning every time I've never gotten past level 6. Um, the cool thing about it, and, you know, I was just telling the team about it the other day on Friday, in fact, was, you know, as you go down each level, uh, there's always something new to see, right? And there's, there's a new environment, there's new enemies, there's new weapons, and it's so rewarding, you know, because you, you really, in this game, earn your way down to each level, you know what I mean? You're like, I don't want to use the word grinding, because that's not true. You're fighting your way through and trying to be as clever as you can and you know when to be aggressive and when to be cautious, and then you're you're paid off by seeing this thing. It's like, what the hell is? Oh, it killed me. Well, that was really cool. <laughs> you know, I can't yeah. wait to try that again. It's, it's really neat. You definitely get that in Dark Souls too. Like when you finally beat that boss, you've been banging your head against the wall for a week, you know, and you finally kill you. you pretty shout up and jump for joy because you're like finally I, I killed that bastard so yeah i, I think that that's that is really rewarding for the kind of players that that likes that i think it's it's really a good thing to touch on because there's definitely a market for it and it's it's, it's a good callback to you know more base times when the, the games were much more hardcore than they are now so it's good to see companies willing to kind of you know do a 180 and kind of go back to that and, and get back to that ultra hardcore for those that do like it all right, now for the record here, Pokey, like we we've got a like I'm all about the hardcore games, but my Twitch skills in my old age are getting old, so we've got a like. Oh no, hang you on. Work I, I, I got you by at least ten years, and I'm I'm good at this game. So. I, I play all my games on easy, so you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there, there um, are no easy. There are no uh, there is no difficulty level in this game. I am looking though. Uh, I am I am looking at the. Uh, the uh, visual style um i you you had on your your twitter a a, a gif um and they GIF. are gifs not gifs by the way um, i'll fight you on that 
We'll fight and, those uh, battles later. Go on. So, uh, yeah, it looks it looks really cool. Um, I, I definitely do see a little bit of that kind of Wind Waker-ish inspiration, and uh, it looks looks really solid. You know, I, I could probably yeah. actually play this game in front of my, my seven-year-old and not scare the, the hell out of him like I would if I played Dark Souls. That's kind of cool. Good point. It's kind of moody, but you're right. It, it is not anything like Dark Souls in, in, in its you know, sheer terror that it could put you <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that's cool about this I forgot to mention is uh, it also supports up to four-player co-op multiplayer. Yeah, I saw that. So, like, so th- oh. you you all spawn together and kind of like get your get your dungeon on uh, as yeah. a team. Yeah, it's a real monster mash game. You know, it's it's not one where you have to uh, you know concentrate. You could have your favorite beverage next to you. You know, so if you, got, if you got permadeath and like, let's say we're all like. Uh, Trying to trying to make our way out of the necropolis and yeah. Pokey for random reasons gets squashed flat. How does Pokey like rejoin the party? So uh, you can resurrect him right there. Oh, okay. Like or right now he won't you know come back with all his health or anything, but you can bring him back up. But you got to remember in this game a couple things. Friendly fire is on, so you can kill oh, Pokey. I'm a huge fan of that. Oh, jeez. Right. You gotta watch that, because we've got a fair number of area effect attacks in the game, so you gotta, you gotta pay attention to that. Uh, did, did, have also, you guys figured out the my bad emoji yet? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the other thing is when you open a, a, a treasure chest, you know, stuff comes out, and then the question is, well, who gets the stuff? So, Ooh. it makes for some interesting... Uh, gameplay there. You could call it co-op, but you know. No, I'm kind of feeling this. So, so just so I, so we got that. Uh, friend, friendly fire is on. And by the way, if you're being fired on, it's not always. It's not friendly, no matter who's sending. Yeah. But everyone um, has that friend. Everyone has that friend that thinks yes. it's funny. It's yes. just, this is true. This is true. And and then to make to sweeten the deal, when the chest opens, it's not like everybody gets a little dip in the chest. It's like no. There's one like plus five sort of ass whippery. That's it. That's right. <laughs> now negotiate it your way. Uh, <laughs> the other thing is that, that I love is that it's also drop in, drop out, right? So, you know, oh, if three of us be playing a game uh, and we could be on level five and Pokey can just jump into it, right? He's a level one character. So we protect him for a while until he can get a, a decent weapon, decent shield, maybe a suit of armor, that kind of thing. Or, you know, we whack some stuff and give them the stuff, you know, so you got to sort of twink them along a little bit. That's pretty slick. I, that That is, uh, I, I don't know that I have heard the mixture of gameplay facets that you've kind of, you guys have kind of laid out. I can see where, like, when those guys came up and pitched to you guys the idea for the game, you're like, yeah, this, this kind of makes sense. <laughs> I, I can yeah, see where you're going well, with it. Yeah, you know, and uh, by the way, the guys that pitched that, I just want to give a shout out. That's uh, Dennis Detwiller, uh, designer, and uh, Chris Conert, who's the uh, lead engineer and the project lead. Oh, so man, they well, I'll, pitched that. I'll tell you what, Mitch, what we can do, like, uh, when, when is this coming out on console, by the way? Console and uh, This summer. This okay. summer. I'll tell you what, we'll we'll mark it down that uh, after you guys go live on uh, on console and PC and stuff, like I'll, I'll hit you, I'll shoot you a note, and if you want one of those two guys to come on and talk about Necropolis, we'd love to have them on. Oh sure, that sounds fun. Yeah, You're I good. think that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's Necropolis. That's coming this summer on Steam and on PlayStation and on Xbox. Uh, we feel real good about that. You know, it's it's fun to play. You know, <laughs> it's. It's brutal. 
Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan. So I I think the other one that you guys are are probably uh, really really have a lot of folks uh, interest hooked onto is uh, is your BattleTech offering. And I yeah. like that. I, I follow that one pretty hard. That one's uh, that one's looking like it's going to be pretty awesome. I'm I'm a big turn based game game guy. I I oh, I thoroughly enjoy that kind of stuff. And like I said, I, I kind of harken back to the days of uh, kind of the old like. Um, you know, like the Dark Sun, the Baldur's Gate type stuff. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. All, all those kind of classic sort of, uh, you know, table. That was truly what I thought, you know, tabletop RPGs like suddenly transformed into a computer would look like. And they've, they've definitely gotten better over time or, or probably I think maybe what's more uh, a better hook would be something more XCOM like. But you've got like this classic sort of sci-fi setting of battle tech like the big stompy robots with the little guy in the head you know driving the machine that uh, you know I've, we've seen that kind of that kind of style or trope in you know any number of different books movies and cartoons and stuff um that was in my mind that was like way cooler than voltron ever was just throwing it out there <laughs> but but you guys you guys really um there's been a lot of different game offerings, but what I've been seeing about this one, like truly harkens back to the old school. Like I'm like a kid trying to figure out how to read a table and I'm throwing dice and I'm trying to color in boxes and all this kind of stuff. Um, Can you kind of pitch a little bit about what, uh, you know, sort of what the, the setting of BattleTech is? Oh, the setting. Sure. So let's start out this way. Uh, BattleTech has been around for over 30 years. Uh, It's game. That is amazing by the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, and what's great about that is, you know, it's got this sort of lush, vibrant history to it. You know, the game universe spans hundreds of years, and there are different settings within those hundreds of years where we've placed different games. You know, um, Mech Commander 2 is in 30, 3053, I think. The game we're setting it in, the setting we're putting uh, our new Battletech game in is 3025. Um, you know, and it's... You know, all sorts of different places, you get all sorts of uh, different real cool elements that come into it. Uh, Like I was saying, Game of Thrones really uh, benefited from this. You know, it really is kind of Game of Thrones in space, but it beat Game of Thrones by at least 10 years to come out. So it's, you know, these noble houses vying for control um, of the known universe uh, after uh, humans leave Earth. Uh, with the Star League Defense Force. And, you know, the bad things happen, you know, fractures and stuff. There's a lot of, you know, internal politics and stuff like that uh, as as these nobles, you know, vie for supremacy and these different governments vie for supremacy. So it's a great place to set your game. And, yeah, it's giant stompy robots, but doing these things for a reason, you know. They're not just stomping to stomp. They have missions and they have goals. And our particular game simulates what it's like to be a, uh, a mercenary uh, uh, mech warrior commander um, as you travel around a place called the periphery, this sort of no man's land of space, taking jobs from these different noble houses and these different you know, uh, political factions. And really what it is is just <laughs> kind of like uh, Hairbrand Schemes, just trying to you know keep serenity afloat. You're just trying to stay in business and keep going. You take these different contracts with the different noble houses. You have to repair and refit your mech and train up your mech warriors and ultimately put the right mech warrior in the right mech for the right mission, uh, some of which are sort of uh, procedurally generated, but there's also a story campaign in the game, and there'll be a PvP multiplayer too. 
Yeah, that's, uh, you know, there's a lot to unpack in that. And I'll just, I would kind of offer this for folks. Um, you could, with a, with a couple quick Google searches, you can find it if you're not that familiar with the Battletech universe, or maybe you've only seen it through like a couple video games here or there or something like that. There's a really, really rich sort of story history that, uh, that I think Mitch, Mitch, you went through like maybe 70 or 80, like quote unquote, real time years of, of history in there in, in about 90 seconds. Um, I would offer that, uh, and I normally I don't pitch a lot of authors on the show, but if you look up Michael Stackpole, uh, he he wrote a series of of novels and books, uh, really not just novels, for the BattleTech universe, and and I think the way Mitch described it as sort of Game of Thrones in space, that that's no joke. That uh, I remember reading a lot of those. In fact, I've still got a lot of them in my. Uh, out in my garage and like i never get rid of a book and uh-huh. I've, I've i think there's like 20 of them or something but they are one michael stackpole's he's a very good writer he's he's a very accessible writer but two he he wove a story through multiple different houses and clans and all, all kind of different uh, social venues that touch on a lot of different topics and stuff like that and you build these really cool characters but it really tells the story of you know several generations of folks so if you're kind of into science fiction and you kind of want like a, a throwback that you can kind of get into and you kind of like the Game of Thrones style stuff, um, highly recommend you check out those Michael Stackpole books. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, he's actually attached to this uh, as one of the stretch goals, right? That's correct. Um, Mike is uh, writing a series of four sort of uh, interconnected novellas and turning them all into one giant novel. Think of it as just a serial serially released novel that takes that takes place uh in a location we're talking about and sort of weaves in and out of the story that we intend on telling so he's been a big part of the story development process and we're excited that battletech fans will have a chance to interact with battletech you know through the voice of somebody they they know and love now that's pretty cool so this is um I think the way that you guys originally described it is like, how do you really get that sort of tabletop game feel transplanted onto a, a video game? Uh, and, and I believe this is a, it's a kind of a unique turn-based style uh, based on the last update you guys put out. And that's one of the things you guys are really trying to, to go for is how do you kind of secure that, that tabletop-esque feel uh, on a, a really, uh, a deep visual canvas that you get with a video game. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about sort of how the how you guys envision the game playing for for somebody downloading it? Yeah, I don't need to. I don't need to. Uh, you know, just think about it. The good news is we've got a working prototype that uh, actually looks pretty good already. It certainly plays pretty good. So I got a real good idea how this game plays now, and the team's very excited about it. So, you know, in in some ways, you know, you can sort of envision XCOM in that it's turn-based but 3D. There are story elements, mid-mission, and that kind of thing. Um, What's interesting about it is uh, we have an interesting turn order system where, you know, there are different uh, weights and classes of mechs. And so we allow the lightest mechs to go first uh, on phase four, what we call it, as we count down all the way to phase one, where the the assault mechs go the slowest mechs and that sounds interesting in and of itself but the really cool element that we've added is that uh any mech up until phase one you could also uh sort of hold him back uh for the next phase and wait for him to move there which gives you all sorts of interesting tactical 
uh, options. So for example, you could take a light mech on phase four, hold them all the way to phase one. When the uh, heavy mechs are going, you could quickly surround those heavy mechs in, you know, at that point. And then at the beginning of the next round, they get to go again. So they get two, hmm. two moves, you know, simul you know, one right after the other. Little things like that really make it so that you can control the battlefield. Uh, and it's pretty neat to see. We've already got it working both in single and multiplayer. It's very, very promising. Now that's that's pretty cool. I think you guys, uh, you know, that was one of the things I picked up from the, uh, the update you guys released. I think it was earlier this week that uh, what, what I, I think the way it was described in sort of the update was literally what in, in my mind I feel some guys sitting around a, you know, a table eating some pizza and actually like sketching out like how do you develop a game mechanic but the advantages you have when you throw like a rapid prototyping system like that you, you actually get to play them and see how they really work uh, that's pretty that that is a really neat thing uh, I think from a creative standpoint and I'm really looking forward to it like I said I'm 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 probably the uh, I'm kind of the turn-based strategy guy on the on the show and I, I really enjoy those kind of things so I'm very keen to see how this kind of kind of lays out um let's see actually you can see it real world right now uh really i don't know if you've heard of our uh twitch channel it's called hyper rabbit power go or hyper yeah. rpg I, I actually haven't i was i was gonna uh i was gonna have you pitch that here in a minute too so please oh go yeah ahead. <laughs> oh, well, it's a, it's really cool uh if you've ever heard of geek and sundry you know uh will wheaton and felicia felicia day's uh twitch channel we hired the guy who ran that uh spirited him away up to the Pacific Northwest and started a hyper RPG. It's a variety channel on Twitch. So we we stream five, well, actually now, six days a week, um, 10 hours a day. So we've got 50 plus hours of programming, of original programming on every week. And uh, it's really cool because it's all about Pacific Northwest gaming. So it's not just what Hairbrain Schemes is doing. We have people from Bungie on with Destiny. We've got people from Pathfinder, uh, from Paizo talking about Pathfinder. Everybody who makes games here in the Pacific Northwest uh, is invited to come on. And, you know, we've got people doing VR coming on. And these are, you know, actual developers who luckily, because I've been around so long, you know, and Jordan has been around so long, you know, it's easy for us to get in contact with them and, you know, show our support from them and vice versa. And it's really neat. You know, it's a great way of using your Rolodex. That, that is actually really cool. I've actually caught uh, your Twitch once. I've Every time I mean to mean to try to do it, I'm usually busy, but I was able to catch it. It's a really fun, it, it's really fun. And I've actually, there's another channel I watched that uh, is kind of similar. It's literally like game developers that from a couple of different studios that got together and actually just either make up a game on the spot. It's almost like improv. We've done that. It, yeah. It's really cool. Or they'll play like a, you know, like a kind of an old school game. They even played Shadowrun one night. Um, oh yeah. We, that's a regular really show. That, oh, that's, that gets a great audience. That's a really good group. What we did was there, we found an improv group that's been together for years. They're also gamers. They've known each other for years. And we've got somebody who really uh, is very good at running Shadowrun. <laughs> to run them through every week and not only that there's a meta game on that one so there oh, are these sweet. mega corporations that interact online with each other and there are things they can do to sort of pull the strings of the game world and uh you should check that one out uh, that one's called uh shadowrun corporate sins then there's another one called death from above that's our battle tech show yeah, that that was the one i watched that was actually really good 
Oh, good. Uh, I'm on that one. I'm the guy with the eye patch on that one. <laughs> I noticed that. Yeah, <laughs> the guy who's drinking heavily. That that's me. Uh, yeah, that's you can cool. call that in character, but that's really me drinking. No, and, that, uh, that... <laughs> we play that one twice a week. So on Tuesdays we have a role playing session, and uh, then on Fridays we have a tactical combat section, and we have these 3D printed mechs that we make ourselves that are what like four times the size of any mech you normally see on a uh, you know a minis game. Easily four times. I don't know. The, the tallest one I guess is what yeah, I'm holding. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good. They're pretty good size. Yeah, we have a show on on Thursdays called "Watching the Paint Dry," where we, you know, we paint those mechs. Because what happens is they take real time damage on the show. So uh, these three D did mechs, if whenever they take damage, if somebody out there with a drill or with a heat gun or something, if they took a laser hit, they're they're <laughs> they're burning the mech. You know, <laughs> the other day, one of them literally lost her leg. One of the main cast members, her mech lost leg and. Two of the cast members just took that mech like a wishbone and just popped oh. that leg right off. Right, and then we have to rebuild it. And that show also has permadeath, like Necropolis. So if any of the cast members ever die, they're off the show, and we yeah. get a new cast member in there. This that, that, there's something to be said about how reality TV is affecting us, and I think this could yeah. be it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, this these are actually really cool, and and uh, what maybe. Uh, yeah, I'd say probably going back towards uh, last fall, like late last fall around Thanksgiving, I, I started catching uh, some of the, you know, these these type of shows here and there on uh, you know on different Twitch streams and stuff like that, and it really kind of got me got me nostalgic for a lot of the old tabletop games because as as much fun as I like having on kind of multiplayer stuff like Pokey and I were playing the Division earlier today and that kind of uh -huh. stuff, I I I just really enjoy killing an afternoon or an evening with like, you know, you have five or six really good friends in person. Yeah. It's really awesome. Yeah. Nothing beats human interaction. I would agree with that, man. I would definitely agree with that. The, um, so if, if I think what we're going to do is we're, we're running out of, uh, of airtime here in a second, but what I wanted to do is if you could just kind of let us know a little bit about the different places where we can find you, like follow you guys on Twitter, that kind of stuff. Uh, sure. We definitely want to put that, you know, put that out to the folks. Sure. Well, let's start with our Twitter feed. That's uh, for Hairbrained Schemes. It's called at WeBeHairbrained, W-E-B-E-H-A-R-E, -E, like a rabbit, hairbrained. Uh, brained is spelled brained. Um, and then uh, if you want to catch um, uh, Necropolis Game, at Necropolis Game, uh, that's the Brazen Head's Twitter feed. <laughs> Brazen Head uh, puts out really cool gifs and gifs and shit and uh <laughs> you know interesting pearls of wisdom uh i'm uh at mitch git m-i-t-c-h-g-i-t i'm on twitter all the time especially supporting hyper rpg since i'm one of the characters on that show lord commander garlic and uh let's see then also you know hyper rpg absolutely at hyper rpg take a look i think it might be uh, hyper underbar rpg but uh, a lot of fun stuff going on there. I definitely suggest you look at that. Of course, on Facebook, you know, we're Hairbraid Schemes on Facebook, Battletech on Facebook. Uh, actually, no, Battletech doesn't have its own Facebook, so we like to keep people on uh, Hairbraid Schemes. It is and hyper that, underscore RB, uh, RPG you. for the record. Oh, also, cool. if you're a Battletech fan, you were talking about the uh, forums. Definitely a shout-out. Battletechgame.com is our forums. And... Uh, I'm on there all the time. Our lead design there, Kevin McGinn, is on there all the time. 
we post our Kickstarter updates up there so everybody who's not on uh, a Kickstarter backer can follow those. And there's a lot of fun stuff going on there, including forums for Deaf from Above. Oh, sweet. The, um, so you guys are like by no means it, – it is, it is not difficult to get a hold of you or find out what you're doing. I will, I will no, say that. That's uh, the idea. Is, is, is definitely a change from some of the uh, from some of the the game companies we've interacted with in, in in the past, and really, I think that's the difference. Like I'm talking to Mitch, I'm not talking to a game company. When you talk to some of these other guys, you're talking to a game company. Yeah, it's, I um, so it, I think uh, I think you guys definitely have something going on, and and we will be uh, listing all these in our show notes. So f- never fear, folks. We'll have links for everybody, uh, and I think you can if. Anybody that's following us on Twitter, you'll you'll see that we interact quite a bit, or at least we uh, you pimp know, out quite a bit on the uh, the hairbrain on hairbrain streams uh, actual Twitter feed, and from there you can kind of branch out. But highly recommend you go check some of these out. And I really do recommend folks hit the Twitch feed up; those are really entertaining. Like it's it's probably as good as any random show you're probably going to watch on TV, other than Daredevil. Just saying, but it's <laughs> okay. probably pretty good. <laughs> That Daredevil is a 26-hour origin story. It, it is, and I, I assume they're at the point where they're going to actually. That's that's my beef with a lot of these comic book things nowadays. Like the, it takes them like about a season and a half to get like caught up to even the most basic layer. Where at least where I'm at, because I'm a longtime comic book guy, so it's 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 always fun to watch. But I, I big props to Daredevil. That's one of my favorites right now. <laughs> Cool. I'm only a couple episodes into season two of that so far. I, I, it's you know, it's normal TV season. I've got like five comic book shows on TV right now, airing every week, and I've got to keep up with those before they expire off my queue. Dude, so I, I catch up on Netflix late. I, I was about to say I don't know how I could do this if I didn't have like Xfinity on demand and Netflix. I would like I would yeah. it'd be impossible. That's yeah, the thing is sure. I watch them all. I actually I use Xfinity, but it's usually it's five weeks back, and then they start expiring episodes for the season. So you can only fall so far behind on any given series before you get. You just got to prioritize your life correctly. Right. I like I like so where I, your head's at. Every 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 week you watch TV, and then you try and do some work. You're killing me, dude. <laughs> the uh, no, but that that is a that is a fair comment. So, um, real quick, uh, we're, we're going to wrap up things. Uh, Mitch, if you don't mind staying around for just a second, uh, hit, hit you up after the show on something. Um, we we do want to give a big shout out to everybody that's listened to us for the last couple of years. I mean, hundred. We've hit the the 100 episode mark. We've got a couple. Actually, it's technically a little bit a little bit over that when you count some of our mini sods that we've thrown in here and there. Uh, I think we've only taken two weeks off total. Uh, or two shows off. Christmas, uh, of that whole Christmas weekend each each year. And and one of the things that I would kind of offer, we got some really sage advice from some guys that had been uh, doing some some podcasting for about. I think as long as you could have podcasted technically when we first started and they, they helped stand us up. It's the, uh, the pod side crew from, uh, you know, that that's their show pod side. And, and they've branched off several spinoff shows from that. A uh, very, very popular, uh, game podcast. And, and they told us no matter what, um, put a show out, no matter how bad you think it's going to be, keep putting a show out. No matter what happens, get on the air when you said you were going to get on the air uh, and be consistent, you know, and, and just continue. And over time, you know, you guys are going to figure out how to make a show that, that works for you. Um, and and I, I think if nothing else, 
as chaotic as sometimes our show gets or as unpolished or unpracticed as it is, we've put a show out pretty much every time we said we were putting a show out and we've been very consistent over the last few years, uh, hitting a hundred shows. This literally started out as something that was specific to a game. That's literally no longer a game. Uh, and, and we aired the show the week it was basically announced that they were shutting the game down. Um, so I, I got, I, I have to say, uh, working for the last couple of years with, uh, with Pokey and, and Zell, has been awesome. Like I would have never met these guys had it not been for a game. Literally, I never we like Pokey is an engineer out in uh, out in Arizona. Zell's an IT guy in the Chicago area, and I'm an Army guy that moves all over. We literally never would have never would have uh, crossed paths had it not been for a video game. And we've become very good friends. And we added Bate in the mix, who's a really good dude from the uh, Florida area. He's like the student of the group, so we have to kind of be cool with him. But uh, it, it's, it is amazing the social fabric that you can build with these kind of things and have a great time playing them. Uh, you can play a game literally by yourself, video game, all day long. Never have to talk to another human being. But when you do, it's, uh, it can be kind of powerful and it can be a lot of fun. Very positive experience. So I do want to give huge props out to uh, everybody that's listened to us for the last, uh, last couple of years. Um, so with that, what we'd like to do is kind of go into a little bit of shout outs or kind of saved rounds. Um, and I will open, open the floor up. Yeah. I just want to thank you guys. I mean, it's, it's been a, a freaking trip. I mean, this, oh, yeah. we, we kind of hatched this thing on uh uh, hell, I think it was we were interviewing for CPM one on Podside, and I think uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, shit, <laughs> uh, they 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 um, suggested far hey you <laughs> far far from Buchan and um, what was the other guy that was in Dust? Uh, he's also running at the same time, but uh, he suggested you know hey you know you guys should do a, a Dust podcast because we were just kind of hopping into the to the Eve one and kind of throwing our bit in there just because the Eve players were terribly confused about dust and had a lot of bad information. And, uh, you know, we said, Hey, sure. Let's, let's give it a shot. You know, we'll, we'll see if it takes off. And, and, you know, I, 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 I'm amazed that we've, we've lasted basically nearly two years. I mean, 51 episodes, uh, a year we're on episode 100. So in a couple of weeks here, we'll be on two years just after fan fest again. And we're about you know, to it, outlive our game. That's true. That's yeah. Geez. Yeah. I mean, you really think about. It. I'm thinking 100 episodes. That's 100 weeks that we've been doing this. That's that's insane. That's a lot of time we've been on the air. Um, and for someone like me, who's you know uh, the, the the stiff of the group and doesn't doesn't talk much, you know, getting me to come on the air for almost all those episodes is is a feat in of itself. So you know, I got get bad props to these guys for for being really great friends and and great co-hosts and and you know I like to think we do pretty good work here. So. You know, it's it's been amazing, and especially to everyone that's been listening. I mean, I know it's it's certainly grown over the years, and I mean, our our bandwidth is you know it, it's actually surprisingly up there for a game that's you know going to be dead in a month and a half. You know, so I it, it's it's incredible. You know, I'm, I I I don't really know what to say. You know, it, it's been fantastic. So I really want to say thank you guys, and, and thanks to the the listeners. It's been a lot of fun for me. All right, good deal, Zell. Um, is it, are we doing shout outs yet? Officially? Yeah. Okay. Yes, we, are we are officially in shout outs. Yes, Cause I do are. have an official shout out for this week. I'm oh, you, you wait, wait, hold on. All right. I would like this date and time group to be noted that Zell a was paying attention to the show and B 
actually had a shout out prepared when it came time for him to do a shout out. Mitch, right. you are here as a witness. First and only yeah, time you've got to come witness. on the show again, just so um, that we can have this happen again. My, uh, my shout out is to, uh, to Comcast, um, for having within the course of a week changed my monthly bill from $123 to $134 to $85 to $180 to $161 to allegedly $111. What the fuck? <laughs> I have had the most amazing week with Comcast. I, I, there are people there that I hate. There are people there that I love. Um, if you have problems with Comcast, do not call Comcast. Just don't tweet them. They respond to tweets. Really? Um, they, Are you serious? they were they're very responsive to tweets and they will fix your crud because that's the corporate office not the weird regional yahoos um but so every time i you know i get corporate to fix it and then i have to call the regional to like activate a box and then my suddenly a hundred dollars is added to my bill for i i got charged for professional installation for plugging in the box myself um so it, I, I hit this sort of excitement all week. It's been lots of fun. But I but I clocked my download speed at 200 megabits per second. So it's all worth it, man. It's is it? All I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a dumb question. Is that good, dude? Yeah, <laughs> that's freaking amazing. Like you probably get like 12. That's probably that's probably what I get at work. Actually, 200. It's like we have like some huge like bundle of fiber like the size dude. of my leg that plugs into my office. It's wicked. How, how fast can I download the Dragonfall game that I have or the uh, Shadowrun game I haven't bought yet with 200 meg? It probably like 0.3 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, Bait. How about what? How about you, man? Shout out. Yeah, I, I would love to give a shout out to uh, to the Biomass crew. Um, I started out as a as a listener just. You know, typing up into the um, iTunes and like, oh, I wonder if there's a podcast for this. And I found the, um, I think, I forgot, the Old Dust podcast that I think um, CCP, what's his face, uh, Frame was on. And, Logi Bro. Uh, yeah, Logi Bro, there we go. Um, so, you know, I, I listened to that. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's cool. Um, and then I saw, um, you know, that they weren't doing episodes of it anymore. Um, and then, um, I found, I found biomass and I thought, Oh, this one's, you know, still being updated and has a, a decent backlog. Um, <laughs> so I started listening and thought, oh, okay, that's cool. Um, and then, you know, Zell put out that thing, um, you know, that, Hey, we need writers. And I'm like, Oh, okay, I'll do that. And you know, here I am now. So thanks for <laughs> giving me a chance. It's really cool. Y'all. Um, so yeah, shout out to that. Um, it, it's been fun. Yep. All right, man. Well, like I said, guys, we really appreciate it. And uh, as we say, uh, we are going to bring this one to a close. So good night. Well, actually, real quick, Mitch, do you got any shout outs, brother? Oh, geez. Uh, just sh shout out to everybody that worked their asses off at Emerald City Comic Con this weekend. Ooh, great show, too, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Comic -Con. Especially two of the artists that I get to work with, uh, Jen Tran and Holly Menger, do great work. And they were selling their stuff there. So, and uh, of course, the the art leads of Necropolis were there giving a little talk on how they developed the minimalist art style. So, big shout out to team members. Love them to death. That sounds like a plan, brother. So, um, all right, folks. As we say, good night and good luck. Bye. See you.